Hello, and welcome to the Girl I Slept in My Makeup podcast by three sisters who live in three different cities, are at three different life stages, and have three different perspectives. They are excited to learn and grow alongside of you. This is a space full of love and acceptance, no judgment, because let's face it, we all sleep in our makeup. Please welcome Lauren, Megan, and Kristen. Have you guys ever thought about starting your own podcast? Just so you know, we use Zencaster to do ours. It is an all-in-one web-based solution, which makes the process super quick and painless, and it really is easy. And if you know us, you know that we are obsessed with quality, and we feel like Zencaster is super easy. And even for our guests that aren't tech-savvy, there's nothing to download. They literally just click on a link, and we start recording. And if you go to Zencaster, dot com backslash pricing, which is Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com backslash pricing and use our code girl. I slept in my makeup one. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster professional. We want you to have the same experience that we have had for all of our podcasting and content needs. So it's time to share your story. Hello, we are so excited about today's episode. We are going to be interviewing my personal doctor, Dr. Mandy Mandy LaGreca, who I've been working with uh, these last couple months. Make sure to take out a notebook and take some notes because there's so many good things to take away from this interview. And we hope you enjoy it as much as we did. A little bit about Dr. Mandy. Um, she is a root cause investigator and finder, founder of IC Healer. She uses cutting-edge science to help guide clients in investigating the root cause of their ailments. Dr. Mandy is a doctor in clinical nutrition and a a certified nutrition specialist. She also has attained the following certifications, clinical certification nutrition, functional diagnostic practitioner, master's in biology, and certified personal trainer. She is recognized across the world as one of the leading experts in interstitial cystitis and painful bladder syndrome. She has dedicated her life to helping people find relief and remission from interstitial cystitis and painful bladder syndrome. And even if you don't have IC interstitial cystitis, there's still so many good takeaways and notes to be taken from this interview. I hope you guys like it. Hey, KK. I'm so excited. Today we have Kristen's amazing doctor, Dr. Mandy. Welcome. Thank you. Missing Lulu. That's okay. We are missing Lulu today, but Dr. Mandy is an awesome replacement for today. Full of information for us. So Dr. Mandy, actually, Kristen, why don't you tell us like a quick background on how you found Dr. Mandy and then yeah, we can so learn more about her. Everyone pretty much everyone knows I because I talk about having IC interstitial cystitis a lot. I, you know, for years have been, I got diagnosed back in 2016, on and off with different Western medicine and doing all the things between surgery, medications. And I just hit a point where I got fed up and nothing was working. And I was like, okay, I need to find a functional medicine doctor. And that the universe led me to Dr. Mandy actually via um, the internet, social media, and just because I'm in a bunch of different like support groups with other people with IC, and that's actually how I found Dr. Mandy. And and she actually had IC her, has IC herself, so I found that um, really helpful because 
for someone to like know what I'm going through, I thought was really cool. So yeah, I've been working with her for a while now and I thought it'd be really cool to have you on and just kind of share all of your knowledge. And I just feel like not a lot of people know a whole lot about functional medicine. So I think it'd be really good to share just all of all the things. So I did want to start Dr. Meany by asking, you know, because people aren't super familiar with functional or integrative medicine, can you give like a general overview of what it is to you and main differences between Western medicine and your approach? Yeah. So, and there is, there are differences between um, even integrative and functional. So it's probably good to clarify. Yeah, all see, I don't even that. know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, definitely. So that's, that's a good, that's a great question. And so, um, Hey everyone. So um, I would love to talk about this because I started my journey with conventional medicine. That's just kind of how, you know, you have a, you know, I guess we're kind of programmed especially I think like younger people, not as much. I think the times are changing, but you know, you're sick, you have an infection, you have pain, you go to the medical doctor and you get a medication and you get better. And that's kind of how, you know, conventional medicine approaches. Um, it's very linear. You know, you, a great example would be, you know, you have strep throat and you go on an antibiotic and it goes away. Um, but when it comes to chronic things, it's not as simple. So conventional, conventional medical model focuses on managing and reducing your symptoms. So you make an appointment, you spend maybe five to 10 minutes with the doctor and they give you a medication and whatever they give you is supposed to help suppress the symptoms. And sometimes it cures it, depending on what we're talking about here. Something more simple like strep throat, it gets cured. But something like IC, which is not simple, it doesn't get cured. And so um, when you're looking at functional medicine now, you're looking at the root cause. So we call that root cause medicine. We focus on finding what's causing your problems and it's not always straightforward. Um, a lot of times it's due to things like inflammation, nutritional deficiencies, hormone imbalances, toxic toxicity, like mold or heavy metals, gut health, your microbiome, stress, your lifestyle. And that that's a much more complicated approach and takes a lot more investigating and a lot more interventions. Functional medicine, we kind of look at the body as a whole rather than isolating the organs. Um, And then we do also look at things like genetics and, you know, your lifestyle. That's kind of like, you know, one of the, you know, major differences between conventional. I mean, how many conventional doctors are asking you how many hours of sleep do you get, right? You don't really get those kinds of questions. Um, So they're downstream and we're upstream. So that's kind of, so we put integrative into that functional category. So it's kind of like a subcategory, um, but it's not completely the same. So integrative is also holistic, but now we're actually doing a little bit more with the physical, mental, and emotional and spiritual. So you might be an integrative, you might be going to acupuncture, right? With functional, not so much, right? So with integrative, if there was an integrative model, let's say there was like a practice that was integrative. I, if, if I had my dream, my dream clinic, it would have acupuncture, it would have massage, it would have ther- therapy, like a therapist, talk therapy. Um, so it has homeopathy. So it's it's adding a little bit more than just looking at function. It's also looking at you as, as an entire being, mental and emotional. Totally. Does that make sense? Yes. So they're kind of similar, but there's a little bit more of the mental, emotional aspect with integrative. So if I were to describe myself, um, I would say I'm probably more on the integrative functional side because I do try to get more and in, deeper into what other things like, you know, I always ask questions like, has there been trauma 
in your life because that right there is a big trigger of underlying trigger of many diseases yeah that's so true so what is exactly ic and is is there just one root cause and is there like any lifestyle diet i mean obviously i know some of these answers but i'm just asking as someone who doesn't know anything about it or any dietary lifestyle protocols that you recommend um any other you know management treatments condition that you suggest Well, now I see and bladder pain syndrome really should be defined as different things. Um, And there was that recommendation by the IC network, which I completely agree with their request to define them differently. And some countries have already done that. So we have to uh, honestly understand the difference between interstitial cystitis as it's defined now and bladder pain syndrome, BPS, or you might see it as PBS, BPS, PBS, they're all bladder pain syndrome. Um, They all fall into that category. Um, Most people about, I think the statistics are about 90%, 85, 90% have BPS. And and then this other small percentage is IC. So the the new definition of IC that they're trying to separate from BPS is they have the hunters and usually it's caused by a virus. So that one, um, generally you'll know if you have that, if you've done a cystoscopy, and they've seen the ulcerations, but they also have to go one step further. They have to do a biopsy to see if the virus is present. And they can do blood testing too to identify the presence of the virus. So that's kind of the difference pathologically. But as far as characteristics, um, both of them involve inflammation in the bladder and then other symptoms. So um, urgency, frequency, painful urination, and pelvic pain. Um, a lot of times diagnoses are made just by symptoms. So that that's what makes this a little weird because you can't always do a test to see if you have it. There's there's no real definitive test. Like, yeah, you can get a cystoscopy, but a lot of cystoscopies come out completely right. normal. So that, and there's no blood test to say you have IC, right? So it's kind of like, you know, when I got diagnosed, it was 100% based off of my symptoms. He did a little checklist based on your symptoms. And then they did a, a urine culture and it was negative. So I didn't have a UTI. So then he knew, okay, since you don't have a UTI and you have symptoms of a UTI, you have IC. And that was just how I was diagnosed. So that's kind of what, what I see is, um, you know, it affects well over a hundred wow. million people. Wow. Mostly women. It's very prevalent. It's growing. There's more people being diagnosed with it every single day. And um, the pain varies. I mean, everyone's so different. Some people have burning, other people have griping, other people say it's spastic, it's hot, it's dull. For some people it's sharp. Some have pain during urination. Some people don't have pain during urination. Um, some people have really bad pelvic pain and other people have no pelvic pain, just pain when they urinate. Um, and then a lot of people also have pain when they have yeah. bowel movement. I know that's it as well. So yeah, it's so interesting movement. to me because really for me, I feel lucky because my biggest um, complaint is I have just horrible urgency and it's just constant and all day, every day. And so mm-hmm. I do feel lucky that I don't have the lesions that you described earlier, or as I didn't, at least when they last checked. If I do, I'm not aware of it. And I don't have the pelvic pain like a lot of women have. So I do feel really lucky that I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's it varies, right? And there's, I mean, it's, I hate to say it, but the suicide rate of this condition is very high. Because yeah. it's so it's so bad, you know, it can be really bad. So it's like I said, there's a very wide range of mild to very debilitating, um, and it affects your sex life, painful yeah. intercourse. Oh, I forgot to mention vulvodynia. That's a whole nother 
additional thing that happens with this is the vulvodynia, which is vulvar pain. Wow. It, it's, it destroys relationships. Um, it's, and there's not a lot of conventional treatments for it. I mean, the main ones are, you know, Elmeron, amitriptyline, bladder installations, hydrodistension, yeah. antihistamines, surgery, and bladder removal, really, are the main ways that, you know, conventional doctors right. treat this condition. So me being kind of like, I'm not in the know as much on this with, and I love that your email was IC healer. Um, so that's so cool. So what is your approach and like, what did you, what's your approach like with Kristen, with a patient? And because it does sound so complicated, like how do you start trying to heal this? Yeah, I start with uh, getting to know the patient first, and that takes time, right? So there's the patient interview, and then you remember all the questions you have to fill out, right? And the forms, um, and all the surveys, and all that stuff, because I get a lot of information just when I get to know the patient, which is what's also missing in conventional medicine. The doctors don't get to know you. Yeah. You know, what's your health history? What is your family history? Do you realize how much I learned just by learning by uh, people's family histories, like diseases their parents had? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of connections to that. What what was your childhood health history? What kind of medications did you take? What was your diet like as a child? What was your stress levels? Where do you live? What is your home situation like? Have you had significant stress and trauma in your life? So um, what is, you know, what is your diet currently? Was it, was it in the past? That I get a lot of information just from that. And then the labs. So there's a series of different functional labs. I mean, you can run so many labs, but I kind of narrowed it down to just a few that I think are the most necessary. Because I, I mean, I'm a, clin- I'm a doctor in clinical nutrition. So my job is to look into um, deficiencies, both minerals, vitamins, um, gut imbalances, uh, microbiome um, that have affected your immune system. Because l- let's, let's just zoom out for a second here, just for a second here. Everything that your body relies on to make you alive, for you to be breathing and to be alive and to be functioning as, as, a, as a living person relies on one very important concept. That's ATP. We learned that about that in high school. ATP is the energy currency. Um, it's, it's created in the mitochondria of your cells. And so this is like basic biology. Everything relies on that. So your cells, which are, let's go up, your organs, which are made up of cells, tissues, sorry, organs made up of tissues, which are made up of cells. So cells require ATP to function. So the ATP comes from um, different biological processes in your body, um, mostly from food that you eat primarily, although you can also produce ATP if you're fasting, but that's a whole different topic. The reason why people get sick is because on a level of the mitochondria cellularly, something goes wrong. Now, most of the times it's not genetic. Most of the times you're born healthy, you're a healthy child, and things start to go downhill in, in your middle middle ages. So usually people around the, you know mid-30s to 40s is when they start noticing they're not healthy any longer. All of that's accumulation of the prior 35, 40 years. So everything you went through from age zero to 40, now you're experiencing yeah. at 40. It's all of the down regulation of your body's ability to produce energy. That's where this is all yeah. boiling down to. So that's my job is to identify where that blo- where those blocks are and how we can reverse that with proper nutritional supplementation and the right diet right. and detoxification. Yeah. So, yeah. And Megan, awesome. just so you like the like she said, I went through the process of going through all of my history, all of the things, and then we started the very taxing uh, 
doing all the tests. It's a lot. I mean, it's, you definitely have to be mentally prepared um, to do a process like this because it, it takes a lot of brain energy and just patience. And, um, and I've gotten through all the testing and now I'm kind of like in the diet detoxifying um, section of the healing part. So if that makes sense. Yeah. And, um, and, and really what we're trying to do is we're trying to slow down the aging process. We're trying to slow it down. We're trying to reverse it. We're trying to improve your body's ATP production. Because when you do that, your cells start to do the job they're supposed to do. And a lot of that is in your immune system and all your inflammatory pathways. We're trying to reduce the inflammation and we're trying to improve the energy so that your immune system can do what it needs to do. Because a lot of times, you know, a condition like IC is caused by inflammation and it is caused by chronic infections. And so we're trying to teach your body to deal with those without the need for medications. So Dr. Mandy, is is IC classified as an autoimmune disorder? Not in the literature, it hasn't been, but it has a lot of the characteristics of it. And truthfully, a lot of people who have IC also have other autoimmune conditions. So, um, so I don't think it's been like medically classified autoimmune, but there are, um, a lot of similarities. And like I said, a lot of people have the autoimmune conditions. You have fibromyalgia, you have, um, Hashimoto's is very common amongst IC, um, rheumatoid arthritis. Interesting. And so with those other autoimmune things you just mentioned, cause I know I have some friends with some of those are, is the same kind of approach used? for healing on those two, similar to what you just described? Yes, because a lot of times the autoimmune um, triggers are coming from diet. And so we have to first eliminate those triggers. And then we have to also start to work towards making your gut more robust because your gut lining, your epithelial lining is what keeps the things out that would otherwise cause a lot of inflammation in the body. So we have to also work on repairing that. And that's done, you know, with nutrition and with certain supplements. Um, Also, um, you know, I do also believe intermittent fasting is also very helpful for people who have autoimmune conditions because it just gives the immune system time to kind of calm down. Now, do you only work with IC patients or do you work with other patients with other immune uh, disorder disorders? So I, I have, I do get people who book with me through IC Healer who don't have IC. Um, so um, I think about maybe about 15%, 20% of my patients will be non-IC. Um, they get referred from their, um, so my IC patients will refer them or they'll find me on Instagram or they'll find me. So no, actually, it's funny you mentioned that. I did start another website called Dr. Mandy DCN. Um, it's not, it's live, but it's it needs a lot of um, it needs a, the touch of a graphic artist. So I haven't really been using it very much. And to be honest with you, it's really hard to promote two different businesses. <laughs> yes. It's really hard. So I kind of stick to IC, but I don't turn down people who come to me who don't have IC. Actually, one of my current patients is um, my fiance, Terry. Yes. We've met oh. person. Yeah, he's actually a patient of mine now. Um, he uh, has some health challenges that just came out of nowhere. And um, we're, I just did a root cause investigation on him too. So I'll have some some information to share on my social media because he's going to let me uh, He's gonna let me put it on his, put yeah. his case on social well, media. After, so. Oh, that would be good. Yeah, and, and after case, doing so. some research, it does feel like a lot of functional medicine doctors do specialize in like spe- more specific things like – is that true or yeah. am I just making that up? 
No, many do for many reasons. One, um, they may have a personal um, story. So in my case, because I have IC, for me, it's just a natural fit. Um, there's people who have like, they do fertility because maybe they were trying to, you know, get pregnant and they use functional medicine to get pregnant, for example. Um, so that's primarily what it is. Um, the other thing is, you know, there's like the thyroid, there's one girl who doesn't like thyroid. Well, she had a thyroid condition. So I think that's primarily the reason why, although every once in a while, I think someone will just specialize in it because they just fell in love with, um, there's this one doctor out there. He's a fertility doctor. His name is Dr. Sklar and he is obviously a guy. So he doesn't right. have fertility struggles. Right. But for whatever reason, he just fell in love with that you know, type of clientele. So. And oh, well, that's yeah. cool. I was just going to ask with you having, I see what was your journey like to, are you fully healed or do you still have symptoms? So my journey was one of 10 years long. Um, I was uh, diagnosed after my daughter was born and it was the same, the same spiel, right? Like, Oh, here, take some, take this Elmeron. It's icy. You're going to have this for the rest of your life. Blah, 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 blah. So I actually had to, had to, I won't usually use the word cure. And I know, you know, there's some doctors out there like Joe Callahan. She loves using the word cure. I don't like using it because I do believe everything can come back. So I like the word remission better because I feel like it's dormant, but it can stay dormant if you do all the right things. So for me, I'm in remission. It's dormant. But I will tell you if I go and I'll, you know, have too many histamines, for example, for dinner, I might have like a little bit of discomfort for a little tiny bit for like an hour and then it goes away. So for me, that's kind of like, I know what my limits are and I know what my triggers are. And if I eat things that are going to trigger my bladder all the time, my symptoms will come back. And that's kind of what remission is. Remission doesn't mean you can go back and, you know, put things down your guzzle that are bad for you and that are toxic and damaging to your body. I don't think anyone has figured out how to do that yet. And honestly, I don't think anybody should want to do that. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, I look at it like having IC was a gift for me because I have been able to reverse yeah. my aging. So the way I was going, when I was diagnosed, I was aging really fast. I was aging really fast. And I even sometimes look at my pictures from about like even seven or eight years ago. And I was like, wow, I looked older than my age, you know? And now like I can start seeing that, like I'm actually looking younger than my age. And, and I honestly think that it's a lot of it is because I found out I had this problem and I, all the things that I did to put it to remission also reversed aging. Wow. So it's a gift. Yeah. Well, that's inspiring, yeah, Kristen, no, right? For sure. Uh, it's definitely inspiring. Right. And it's, it's like, like I said, though, like you have to be, and Amanda, I think you could agree with this. Like the, I first was going to maybe start this sooner, but after losing mom, I just realized I like wasn't mentally ready um, to take on because it is a lot to take on. Right. I mean, you have to change a lot. It's a lot of work yeah. and you definitely need to be mentally prepared and ready to take it on for sure. Um, for anyone who's like thinking about doing this journey, I just want to say that. Yeah, you do. And honestly, honestly, I'm glad you mentioned the labs because there, I still have patients who haven't run their labs yet. And I think that's the easy part. I think running the labs is the easy part. So then that makes me think, you know, if, you're right. You not only have to have the um, ability to run the labs and to when you get the results, you have to like have the mental strength to be able to absorb and understand like, wow, like I think for some people getting the lab results is yes. also very difficult because it's, you know, you, you see how much damage is in your body. And sometimes it's hard for people to see it on paper. Like, oh my gosh, look what's going on. So there are, there are some, you know, 
mental strength. And I do a really good job screening that before I bring people on board. Like I don't accept every patient that walks through the door because I don't want to, I don't feel comfortable doing that to people because I feel like, you know, you already made this time and investment. And if you weren't mentally ready to do it, then it hurts both of us. It doesn't help me. It doesn't help them. So I have turned people down and I've said to them, Hey, you know, I don't think you're ready for this right now. But here are some suggestions on what you need to do and come back to me in six yeah. months and we'll Speaking talk Speaking of that, do you think that insurance companies will ever start to cover integrative or functional medicine? See, that's a really great question. And I think in some cases they do uh, cover some elements of it, but understand that they're in the business to make right. money, right? And ultimately it doesn't really benefit them to get people yeah. better in a lot of ways, because um, it, I feel like there's a disconnect between insurance and pharmaceutical and functional medicine, because it doesn't seem to benefit their mm-hmm. bottom line. So I don't know. I don't know if they'll, you know, I know some of the labs are sometimes covered by insurance. Um, it depends on the insurance that you have. And it also depends on um, the practitioner you know, and if, whether or not they're actually in network with the insurance. But I'll tell you something, from my experience, most practitioners choose not to take insurance because what ends up happening is the insurance pays them a lot less than they're able, able to give for time. So what ends up happening is practitioners who want to spend hours with you and really give you a detailed um, synopsis of what's going on with you, they don't do it. They do exactly what these regular doctors are doing. They're giving you these 15 minute visits because of the way the insurance is paying them. So I think that's when a lot of reasons why you notice functional medicine practitioners don't take insurance anymore because they want to be able to serve you in the way that you need to be served. And currently insurance does not allow yeah, for that. Does just that seems make sense? so backwards. <laughs> it well, with the pharmaceutical industry, you know, I mean, at the end of the day with them, I mean, they're in business to make right. sure you stay sick. So, I mean, you have to understand everything's a business at the end of the day. If it doesn't help their bottom line, they're probably right. not going to jump on board because you would think pharmaceutical medications, pharmaceutical companies would get more involved in like supplements, right? Or like offer supplements, but obviously right. why would they do that? Because then that would mean you wouldn't yes, longer need their that medications. Makes sense. Now, I also so, wanted to ask, I've heard multiple times in multiple different Think people, doctors say that because, um, you know, my husband and I want to get pregnant and have our first baby. And I've heard that pregnancy can actually mm-hmm. help your symptoms in a lot of cases. And I was just curious mm-hmm. if like what yeah. your thoughts are around that. Yeah. That's primarily due to diamine oxidase enzyme that goes up really high when you're pregnant. So remember that is the histamine yeah. enzyme that breaks down histamine. You know how IC has a strong yes. relationship to histamine? People who have a lot of oxalate, we we can get into the oxalates. People who have some oxalate imbalances can also have histamine and it can also be histamine just genetically, or you can also have histamine issues because of mast cell activation. But anyway, there's a lot of histamine, even in the literature, interstitial cystitis is associated with increased activation of mast cells, even in the bladder. So what happens is there's an enzyme called diamine oxidase that helps degrade and remove histamine out of the body. A lot of people don't produce enough DAO. Why? One, well, their gut is damaged. So you have to have a healthy gut lining to have the ability for your cells to make DIO. But the other reason is due to copper toxicity. So a lot of people, especially if you've been on birth control pills or you've been on hormonal contraceptives, you do end up having this copper toxicity. And that means that you're not utilizing copper effectively. So I like to rather use the term copper dysregulation. And copper is a cofactor for DAO. So without copper, you can't have DAO. So when you get pregnant, your body 
produces a lot of DAO because of whatever hormones that are happening when you're pregnant. And so a lot of people go into remission because of their higher levels of DAO enzyme. That's the main reason. And then the reason why, and I think a lot has to do with also maybe some estrogen too, because estrogen levels are high. But what ends up happening is they give birth and all of a sudden the DAO levels tank, estrogen levels tank because you just gave birth and their symptoms come raging back. Well, that, that, I guess that would make sense why you started having your symptoms after your first child, maybe. Yeah. 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 But I think there was a lot of, um, oxalate, um, oxalate related movement that was going on post-pregnancy. So I was probably dumping, um, I was probably moving oxalates because you know, your metabolism changes after a baby, your, um, what else, um, your hormones change and that can also cause oxalate to Mm -hmm. move, move around. And I think that I was probably moving oxalates also. And I think that a lot of my symptoms, because they all started like a UTI, that's how it felt. And that's how I, looking back, I'm like, wow, you know, and plus they catheterized me in the hospital and I didn't, you know, now if I ever get catheterized, I'm going to ask for an antibiotic. Like, I'm like, just give me the antibiotic so I don't get an infection. Cause just, you know, you're, they're sticking something in there that's foreign. And so I think the combination of the catheter alongside of my already oxalate related problems probably damaged my urethra and my bladder. And I think that, you know, I just started peeing out all these oxalates and I think it just caused me to have this infection, which now we know the embedded infection is a big, big right. cause of so the problem. So speaking of, you know, yeah, well, speaking of oxalates or I always say oxalates cause I don't know how to say it. I had never, by the way, before I started working with Dr. Mandy, I didn't even know like what histamines or ex- oxalates were. I was like, what? Um, so I feel like a lot of people don't even, I mean, I've heard the word histamine, but I didn't really know what that meant. Can you kind of explain what you mean by like histamines and oxalates, oxalates? Yeah. So, um, so let's start with oxalates. Um, oxalates are basically, um, in plants. They're like little crystals, nanocrystals. They're found in plants, but you actually make them as part of your own biochemistry too. We make them, plants make them, plants have a reason to make them. They make them to protect you from being eaten by insects. Um, so think of it like bones for plants and they're naturally occurring. So they're, they're there. Like, so spinach, like there's some foods that have a lot of oxalates in them. Um, spinach, beets, Swiss chard, sweet potatoes, turmeric, nuts. They're very, very high oxalate foods. They're there for, for the plant to protect them. And we as humans and other animals have microbes that can break them down and safely remove them out of the body when they're eating, eaten in moderation. That's the key, moderation. Or when the gut is healthy. So here's the problem. We're eating too much of them because as a society, we just eat too much, first of all. Then got all the vegans and all the whole vegan diet craze. So people are juicing and doing all these crazy things. And then on top of it, um, we're also missing our microbes. So there's actually a really good book um, by a Dr. Blazer called Missing Microbes. It's the first time I realized, oh my gosh, this is a problem. We don't have microbes. We're missing them. And so we're we're killing them off with our antibiotic use and we're killing them off with our <clears throat> overuse of, of pesticides and herbicides. So that's kind of where that problem is. And so what happens is because they're little crystals, you can imagine they look like little needles. They can deposit anywhere in the body. They can deposit in your joints. They can deposit in your breast tissue and cause breast cancer. They can deposit in your bladder. They can, they have to come out of your body and they come out through the kidney and through the bladder, which is one of the reasons why they damage the kidneys as well. And um, truthfully, they're poison. I mean, I just, you know, Sally Norton, she calls it 
toxic superfoods. And that's exactly what they are. They're poisonous. And, you know, I talked about the mitochondria. Remember earlier I said the mitochondria are everything for producing energy. Well, guess what oxalates do? They destroy them. So now you're no longer producing the energy at the capacity that you should be. And so you start getting a lot of infections. You start having a weakened immune system. You have fatigue. Your detoxification pathways are slowed down. Your hormone synthesis is all messed up because of that. So that's oxalates. Now, oxalates, (laughs) they promote inflammation. And they can activate these little cells in your immune system called mast cells. And their mast cells are really important. They are important for your immune system because you have an infection. You better hope your mast cells come in and help you get rid of it. But sometimes people have mast cell activation syndrome, MCAS, because they're activating too many mast cells because of a lot of reasons. Could be genetics, could be the oxalates, could be, you know, mold is another one. Um, So when people have MCAS, they also produce a lot of histamine. So that's where the histamine comes in. Histamine is naturally in your body. Think about if you have an allergy to something like um, during the fall or spring, you get like the seasonal allergies, that's histamine. It's just your body's immune system and it produces you know, uh, symptoms that are usually characterized by heat, hot, inflammation and that's what histamine is and so oxalates can actually activate your body to produce histamine wow does that make sense so interesting yeah it's interesting but you said when you have a healthy gut oxalates are okay or they can still be well they're they're never good to be eaten in excess for anybody ever so that's kind of where i stand with that i think that as a society i truly believe we're eating too much food number one and i think that we're also overdoing Things that are, you know, I mean, think about our hunters and gatherers. They were probably eating certain foods seasonally. And then there were times that they were probably weren't eating much at all in the wintertime because it wasn't available. And so now that we have such availability of food, I think we're overdoing um, too much that, that our body has not evolved to be able to manage. So I think part of that is like juicing and doing just think about like even like nuts, like we have to take them out of the shell, but we can buy a bag of nuts and they're unshelled and you can literally eat them all in one sitting. Yeah. I just don't think the human body was meant to do that. And so I think that's part of the problem. And then on top of it, because of gut um, dysbiosis, we have also lost a lot of the healthy microbes that are um, necessary to help your body um, degrade and safely remove these oxalates that you are eating. So I think think it's like a bunch of things that are happening. And then on top of it, if you have a lot of yeast or mold in your gut, you're actually going to be producing, having a lot more oxalates because those microbes actually have oxalates as part of their microbiome. So people who have a lot of mold in their GI tract also have oxalates because of the mold. Wow. So there's a lot going on. There is so much going on. It's my brain hurts just from like a 20 minute lesson on this. So I'm so, (laughs) I'm so grateful for someone like you that is so passionate about this and helping people and that you're my sister's doctor. I'm so grateful. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very complicated. It took a lot of research and I'm still learning. Like I'm not like, I'm like, I, I always encounter something new and I'm like, oh my gosh, really? It's yeah. just constantly changing. I, I've just recently learned about, um, well, the enteric hyperoxaluria, which is a whole nother, um, when their body doesn't have really good gut health, it's not breaking down the fat. So you have like excess fat in the GI tract. And what ends up happening is it binds up your minerals. And so because your minerals are supposed to bind the oxalate. 
So the oxalate comes in and oops, sneaks in and there it goes. And so there's so many different things that are happening within yeah. the body that's causing that. So wow. for, for people who just are living like normal, you know, that want to be healthier and wh- what are some tips that you can suggest for people like, well, what should I be eating? Because I know like for me, it's very specific where I need to eat low oxalate, low histamine, but not everybody needs to do that necessarily. Like what are some tips for just like the general public, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, I still am going to stand by the fact that I don't think anyone in their right mind should be juicing loads of high oxalate foods, anybody. I mean, I literally have had, you know, friends of mine who have sent themselves in the hospital with a kidney stone and they didn't have IC, but they overdid it with juicing spinach and they ended up giving themselves a kidney stone. So I just think in general, even regular people should not be doing that. I think it's dangerous, especially the connection with breast cancer. I think it's a little scary, but I think for the general public, (laughs) um, I want you to think about your diet being the rainbow for the most part, like eating the colors of the rainbow, um, but also thinking about diversifying what you're eating. Because I think as Americans, we kind of eat the same food over and over and over and over. And it's like our go-tos. And I'm, I'm guilty of this myself. You know, we get lazy. We don't have time. We're busy working, doing this and that. And, you're, you know, Kristen, if you're going to have kids, that your life is going to be very, very, very involved. Um, so, so trying to stay diverse with your diet is going to be a little bit more difficult and it's going to take a lot more planning you know, try a new food that you never had before, you know, don't just eat chicken four days a week, Um, mix it up, try to have five to seven colors, if you can, like smaller portions, rather than doing a side of just broccoli, do a little broccoli, a little bit of onions, a little bit of red pepper, a little bit of green pepper, a little bit of yellow, you know, like diversify like a rainbow. Um, And then this is the big one now, okay? Follow the 80-20 rule. 80% of what you eat should be something you either have to grow it or you have to kill it. And I'm exaggerating in that you're probably not going to grow it and kill it, but it should be completely free of processing. So like we're talking the produce aisle and we're talking the meat aisle, 80%. And the 20% can be yeah. your wiggle room for processed man-made foods. I love this. I have three, I have three little ones. So I'm like, and I am not, I don't love cooking. So we definitely get stuck in see, eating the same things every week. So I'm like, okay, diversify. And I feel like the rainbow helps me because I'm like, okay, what are the colors <laughs> that I'm eating today? That's good. And you can throw them in a shake, like for kids. I've done it where um, I, I, I think, Kristen, you might, we might have talked about the microbiome mashup where you can take like when you're getting all your vegetables and like you can even do the stems and the leaves and things you normally throw away. You can throw in the blender. And you can freeze them in little ice cube trays and you can literally throw that little cube into the blender and give it to your kids in their shake and they won't even notice it's there. But the benefit of it is it's still sending a signal to your little microbes in the gut who who they they grow and they diversify and they feed off of those little, you know, the little fibers and the little colors and the polyphenols and all of that is sending um, communication to the microbiome. And so you want to try everything in your possible way through your diet to diversify your microbiome. And the main way to do that yeah. is with diversifying your diet. I love it. Got Megan, it. I know she's a big – so Dr. Megan's husband is dealing with some health issues and they just bought a – what's it called, Megan? Well, we got like an infrared sauna. It's like a sleeping bag. It's called the heat healer. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's really cool. We've been doing it like every other day. I'm like, I don't know if that's too much, (laughs) but yeah, trying to definitely I'm 37, he's 38. So we're like in that, I don't know. We just got to get healthy. (laughs) He also had heart surgery 
Um, He was born with like a heart murmur and it just, you know, he went to a regular checkup and they were like, yeah, we got to do some more testing. And then it turned into heart surgery. So it's been a crazy few years for us, but he's doing great. And yeah, we're just going through like now some thyroidism, like possibly hyperthyroidism. And oh, hyper. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of weird, but we're going, I don't know, maybe we should work with you. He's, we got an appointment with somebody like local to where we live, but he couldn't get in until I think it's in March, his appointment. So coming up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be, um, yeah. See, that's the thing is like with men, it's interesting because their symptoms are sometimes so different than ours. Um, I think that's, I mean, a lot of it sounds very similar to Terry. I mean, the big thing with he and him was uh, the low testosterone. That was kind of what we're trying to get to. The, that was what he was dealing with for a long time. And then it just turned into these other symptoms with it. You mentioned cardiovascular. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's a good thing for you guys actually trying to do that. And for men, I'm going to be honest, the hardest part is having them change their diet. That is so hard. I find men really hard with that. Women have no problems. Tell me what I got to eat and I'll eat it. But men, I just have found they really stubborn. They have their go-tos and they don't like to be told you well, can't eat that. I must be a man, I must be a man because I, that's the hardest part for me. Like diet has by far been the hardest part because what ends up happening, I've, I used to deal with some eating issues in the past too. So I think that's a part of it, but I will get stuck just eating the same thing over and over. And then I'll just want to binge on all my favorite foods. So like that's been the hardest part. And I recently started working with a company where it's like affordable chefs that come and cook for you. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And it's been really great. It's called Friends That Cook, I think is the name. And they're all over the U.S. So definitely if this is something you're looking into and you're like me and can't like plan and do, it's definitely something that's been beneficial. And it's honestly really, it's pretty affordable. I feel like we're actually saving money using it because we're never eating out, you know? So... I'm glad you told me the name of it because I literally just told Terry the other day, if I have something on my wish list, it's to find somebody to cook for me because I really, I, what I, what I don't like, and I agree with you guys is that I don't like having a full work day and yes. then have to go and work again Yes, and because cooking is work. Yeah. I agree with you. I completely agree. And Hey, I'm glad you told me the name of that. Cause I'm going to be looking up, see if they have yeah, that they honestly, area. <laughs> so definitely check it yeah. out. <laughs> nice. Well, I have to ask you because Lauren couldn't be here and she really was excited to interview you. One of her questions, I'll get it out. So she wrote is she's in her 40s and there's so much buzz around hormones. And she said it almost feels like everyone in her circle has been told to get on thyroid meds or get testosterone pellets. But there seems to be conflicting data, the Dutch test versus blood test. Can you explain what the Dutch test is or what it is and what you believe the best measure is to be and what's your approach to hormone balancing? I truly, I, I love the Dutch test. I do, but I feel like it should be done alongside with blood tests because it, Dutch test isn't perfect and blood test has its flaws. So Dutch test stands for dried urine test for comprehensive hormones, D-U-T-C-H. So it's a dried urine test. And I actually, funny you mentioned that I just did a Dutch test on myself and um, did the cycle mapping. So you can actually get an entire month's cycle on how your hormones rise and fall. So estrogen rises and then follow, you ovulate and then your progesterone rises after that. And they can actually do that too and show you if you're actually um, producing a, a good rhythm with your hormones. Great for fertility. I think when people are trying to get pregnant, I think it's a great test for that. 
Um, it also is a good task because it kind of lets gives you insight if you're getting nearing menopause or if you um, can do anything to help you know slow down the symptoms of perimenopause. Um, but it does also check adrenal hormones. That's why I like it. Um, so it has cortisol, cortisone. Of course, it's got your estrogens and your progesterones. It does test for testosterone as well and DHEA, the sulfate of DHEA too, which is the, the more bioactive form, and then melatonin. And then also can give you um, your cortisol rhythm. So like how your core, because you're doing it over two days, depending on which one you're doing, you might be doing the Dutch mapping too. But if you do the regular Dutch, you're doing it over a course of two days. So it kind of gives you an idea of what your cortisol is from the morning all the way to nighttime to see if you have adrenal, adrenal related issues. Um, and then, so with the Dutch, you can um, get insight onto your adrenal function, um, fertility issues, um, whether or not you're a good candidate for hormone replacement, um, sleep issues, and then also how are your hormones metabolizing or are they methylating? And the, the one I, thing I really like about this test is it can actually identify if you're producing bad estrogens because there's different forms of estrogen, the healthy kind and the not so healthy kind. This will give you a nice ratio of how your estrogen metabolism is. Um, and then also if it's being removed properly out of the body through the liver. And they just added a few years ago, organic acids to it too. So there's a few organic acids and also has a DNA damage marker as well. So I've done this test on myself. I've done it twice on Terry. Um, and every once in a while, people will ask me. Um, it's not one of my first tests that I do with the root cause investigation um, because I feel like hormones are a lot of times can self-correct when you uh, address other issues first. So I usually do that if somebody is not specifically is trying to get pregnant or they're having fertility issues, then I'll, I'll do the test yeah. for them as well. And then what do you learn from that? Like, I guess people shouldn't be just like going to get testosterone pellets without doing these tests. It sounds like. Exactly. Yeah. Cause it has its own you know, side effects. Um, okay. Like for example, for men, I don't think a lot of men know this. So men are, if men are ever listening to this, I'll be t honest, testosterone, this is what we have to deal with too here. Um, testosterone um, therapy can actually cause um, damage your gonads. And so if you're, you know, trying to get pregnant or have a baby, um, then the, a lot of doctors will put guys on testosterone of as young as 29 and 30, you're going to be infertile. It'll cause infertility. Wow. So it's not a good idea to jump to uh, those hormones right off the bat. Now, I'm not against bioidentical hormones. I think in some circumstances, they're necessary, uh, especially like, you know, women who are postmenopausal and they're just really struggling. I think sometimes a little bit of hormone therapy replacement, like bioidentical can really help ease some of the symptoms of menopause and perimenopause. But we try to do things differently in the beginning. So like doing precursors. So like, let's just say, for example, in the case of testosterone, let's say there's a deficiency in testosterone. Well, you can look on this test to see if there's a deficiency of DHEA upstream. And with that, you can start taking things like DHEA and pregnenolone. And that is a precursor to testosterone to help raise your levels. Or like an estrogen, in the case of estrogen, if someone has estrogen dominance, then they can take things like DIM or other types of like things like calcium deglucurate to lower or help improve their liver's metabolism of estrogen. So you can do a lot of um, non-pharmaceutical interventions with the Dutch. Got it. Interesting. You know, she had a question on here too about supplements in general. And like, we love the idea of being able to kind of fuel our bodies through food. But do you find most people have to change their diet and have supplements depending on their situation? Or can yes. it be all diet? hands down, unless you live somewhere out in the middle, middle of nowhere, and you have, you know, your total control over your soil and your 
doing using, you know, you have your own garden, you have your own entire um, food being grown in your backyard, plus you're killing your own cows and chickens, then okay, maybe in that case, but then that would assume that you have really good gut health. So if yeah. all of that's at play and you have no polymorphisms genetically, because that's a whole other thing that could happen. Yeah. So yeah. if all of that is good, then you might be able to get away with it. But honestly, I don't think so. And yeah. um, so for people with IC, they have to be on very specific supplement protocols because a lot of conventional multivitamins flare their bladder. So there's a very, very careful approach with supplementation with people with IC. But with a general person, um, you can even do like the vitamins from Market America, which I, I'm not a big fan of those types of companies, but sometimes they have really good products. Like, so you can literally just do their multi or do their antioxidants. And if you're just concerned about overall health, it's probably all you need. Like yeah. A really good quality liquid. I like the liquid multis more than the pills if I can find them in liquid. So the reason I mentioned that one is because that's in a liquid. So it's just like a regular healthy person who's got no problems with their bladder and doesn't flare from stuff. They can just take that every day and that's all they need. Okay. Good to know. And then what about insomnia? I know a lot of people struggle with sleep and I know Kristen, you really struggle with sleep because of your IC, but everybody has different insomnia reasons. Is there any approaches that you offer or recommend? Number one, get control of your blood sugar. The main causes of insomnia is due to poor blood regulation or blood sugar dysregulation. Um, A lot of times, yeah. um, A lot of times when people don't have good blood sugar metabolism or they don't utilize their blood sugar effectively through different um, biochemical pathways, they will end up having hypoglycemia in the middle of the night. And a lot of, the reason for that is because when we fast, our body has to be able to convert other things to glucose to continue to give the brain glucose, that's sugar. So like your liver will metabolize things that um, that's stored in your body, combination of glucose that's stored, or it can also be fat, um, or it can, it can even be protein, can convert to glucose while you're sleeping provided that those pathways are working right. But again, because I run these labs, one of them called NutriVal, I can see that people don't have good pathways. And so those people have what's called hypoglycemia. And oftentimes that happens in the middle of the night, 3 a.m. You wake up and you're wide awake. That's due to blood sugar because your brain is being awoken saying, I've got to eat. You may not be hungry, but your brain is saying, I'm not getting enough glucose, wake me up. So number one, hands down, get control of your blood sugar. How would you get control of that? Sorry, that's it. Yeah, no, I mean, the first thing is you have to go upstream. And if you're eating a lot of carbohydrates at night that are simple carbs, um, if you're not eating enough fiber to slow down um, the, you know, to blunt the insulin, if you're not getting enough protein, if you're not exercising, that's Mm -hmm. number one insulin sensitivities with exercise, right? So you gotta be exercising. You have to also lead a low stress life because stress can absolutely mess up your blood sugar. So stress, what you're eating, how much, you know, sugar is in your diet. Are you getting enough protein? Are you getting enough fiber? Are you practicing intermittent fasting? So all of that. And then on, then obviously there's certain vitamins and minerals that support your blood sugar pathways. And that's magnesium and your B vitamins. So that's where I see a lot of deficiencies when I run my labs. And so again, with a regular person who's listening, doesn't have any health troubles, you start taking a, you know, a good multi vitamin, multi-mineral, um, you'll probably improve that as long as your diet's improved. But like someone with IC, again, it's complicated because they can't just take a multivitamin because they flare. So there's a different strategy for that. So that's number one, get control of your blood sugar. But then after that, there's other things like circadian rhythm, like make sure you're going to bed at a reasonable hour and waking up at a reasonable hour every day. Like you want to be on a schedule. 
Yeah. Sometimes people like they're up late and then they're up to one and the next day they're up to 11 and next day you want to be on a really good circadian schedule. Try to get to bed by 11 latest and try to get up by, you know, seven, you know, yeah. like the 11 to seven window. Um, and then also um, cut out the caffeine, especially at night. Like caffeine is a big, you know, big problem in this country. People are like addicted to their Starbucks, but no caffeine yeah. and um, get off the computer. Those blue lights, they mess with your circadian rhythm and melatonin. So you got to get off the computer three hours before you go to bed. And finally, get more sunlight because research shows that if you spend time in the sun during the day, you actually produce more melatonin at night. Okay. So those are my tips. I like it. Isn't it funny how it's like we got to get back to like it almost feels like back to the basics, like back to the olden days or something. Um, yeah. And it reminds me of like, just how I, you know, with my kids, I'm very strict on like, they go to bed at the same time every night. And when we get out of that, even just a couple days, you can just tell they're just off, you know? So no wonder we're all off as adults. It doesn't really change. Yeah. We're spending way too much time on the screen and we're not getting enough time outdoors. And that is probably the number one thing I think is really affecting us is we're not spending time in nature. Um, we're just living this artificial lifestyle and it's really affecting our brain and how our brain functions and how we perceive danger, even like these are always like in this like fight or flight, fight or flight, fight or flight. And I think that part of it is messing up our, how our immune system is, yeah. is supposed to operate. Gosh, well that, I, I feel like we got so many good things. <laughs> Hopefully everyone I'm is enjoying more. it as much as I am. So Yes. And this is one you'll need to like listen a few times over and take notes. I feel like. (laughs) Yeah. So good. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to chat through Dr. Mandy? Um, let me see. Um, no, you asked me some really good questions. Um, I just feel like if there is, you know, like I think hope is really important. Like if you're listening to this and you have, um, you know, been told and given the runaround that there's no cure, we can't help you. This is this is the way it is. You know, there is hope. I mean, there's always when there's a will, there's a way. I mean, there's always answers that you know. I never thought, like for example, and I know we didn't talk about it, but I never thought I'd be you know doing a water fast and not eating for five days to help you know clean up my uh my immune my immune imbalances. Like if you would have told me that ten years ago, I'd be like, Are you crazy? I am not going to do that. But, you know, there's always a solution. There's always something you can do. And and a lot of times it is going to be something that's difficult. But, you know, you know, here's a great analogy. Um, Maybe you guys know the lobster, right? When that lobster has to grow from its shell, it has to kind of break from its old shell to create the new shell. Yeah. Well, before it actually does that, it's really uncomfortable. It's got like a lot of pressure and heat and it just feels really uncomfortable, but it needs to in order to grow. So in part of the process of improving anything in your life, it doesn't have to just be health related. If you're trying to improve your life in any capacity, there's going to be some level of discomfort and you're going to have to break free from your comfort zone. And the people who do the best in my program are the ones who are willing to accept that and are willing to head totally. forward with the challenge. So that's all I have to say with that. That's awesome. Thank you so much. That's amazing yes, to end on. <laughs> Can you... Tell everybody where to find you because I know people are going to want to try to work with you. And I know you work with people from all over the country. So please tell us like your website, your social media. Yeah. And I also take people from other countries as well. I have patients in India and Australia and England. Yeah. Um, So I am ichealer.com. That's my website. I am also on Instagram, Dr. Mandy DCN. And then I'm also on TikTok, Dr. Mandy DCN. 
And I'm also on YouTube, Icy Healer. So I have those four that I primarily, and I do have my own podcast as well. I don't really um, advertise it too much, but I do. Oh, have a cool. Yeah. Well, we are so appreciative. One thing about our podcast is we do typically end with like a quick prayer. Um, is that okay with you? If I Absolutely. wrap this up with that? Okay. Kristen, was there anything else before? Yeah. I think this? the only thing I would add is you really have to be your own advocate. Like when with your health journey, get a second opinion, get a third opinion. Like you have to fight for yourself because – especially if you're just doing the Western medicine. I feel like, like Dr. Manny said, they don't take the time a lot of the time, not to bash them. They're there for a reason and everything's great, but I just, I don't know. You really have to just be your own advocate. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Dr. Mandy. This was awesome. And I feel like we're going to have to have you on again, just to, there's so much information and we've been talking through Kristen's health journey and she updates us regularly. So it's great to kind of be a witness to that too. And yeah, so I just appreciate you. Thank you. Um, Okay. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for bringing Dr. Mandy into Kristen's life. And I just, first and foremost, just want to pray health over everybody listening over Kristen, that there is so much hope for everybody out there. And like Dr. Mandy said, there's always, you know, a step forward that you can take. You just have to get out of your comfort zone. And we're just so grateful for you, Jesus, that you always push us to do that as well. And we, we just love you and thank you for today. And we pray everybody listening has a great day and thank you for Dr. Mandy in Jesus name. Amen. Awesome. Well, hopefully we talk to you soon. <laughs> okay, great. Have a great weekend. Yay. And thank have a great you. week. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another week of girl. I slept in my makeup. If you like us, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to learn more about us or get in touch with us, go to our website, girlisleptinmymakeup.com, where you'll also find links to our Instagram and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And yeah, make it a great week. God bless.